0: Hey friends, Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 25, Michael Elsner. Now Michael is an expert when it comes to music licensing. He has had over 2000 placements. He has coached hundreds of songwriters and artists to actively get their music into film and television. We're gonna talk about how does a songwriter start to actively get placements? Where to go? Because Michael has navigated those waters both in Nashville and LA, and he's gonna share some of his experience, his thoughts on this process. So let's just dig into it. Episode number 25, Michael Elsner.
1: I had asked my mom for a, you know, a keyboard, maybe like you know two or three years before, and- I was, you know, probably twelve, I guess, at the time, and uh, mm-hmm. so she was like, "Well, you haven't really, you know, even done much with your keyboard." And I doinked around on it and stuff, and so I made a deal with her that if I learn a bunch of these, you know, Beatles songs, I had like a Beatles song book. If I learn a bunch of these Beatles songs on on piano or keyboard, you know, mm-hmm. a guitar, so that was the deal. And so I did, and so then she got me a guitar for Christmas, and it really, it really stemmed. Uh, what really started it, though, for me was, I mean, it's a funny story, but really, it started with the. The cover of the Racer X Live Extreme volume album, Paul Gilbert was playing this pink, it's called an Ice Stroyer. It's like a, it's like an Iceman and a destroyer uh, combined. And I just thought that was the coolest looking guitar and I got it, and the music was just, you know, insanity. And uh, and at that time in my life it resonated with me. And so, of course, you know, that was also, you know, in the late 80s, you know, Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi era, the MTV era. And so guitar just looked like a lot of fun. So that's kind of how it started, and then I just I, I just became so passionate about. it. Within that first year, you know, I, I had learned so much, and I just got into. Um, well, I guess I was in eighth grade, so a, a year later, I got into high school and and uh, started learning from a bunch of guys in high school. And um, very quickly, you know, they've been playing longer than me, but very quickly, you know, I would I would I, I just spent so much time playing and and absorbing that. Uh, you know, I quickly um, improved faster than expected. We'll say that, and um, that's kind of how it went. I just I just became obsessed with it and. I spent probably, you know, during my, during the high school years, probably a solid, you know, five, six hours a day playing. During the summer, probably, you know, eight hours, if not more, you yeah. know, um, just insanity. And I was also during the era of, of guys like, you know, Eric Johnson, Paul Gilbert, John, uh, maybe not John Bertucci quite yet, but, uh, you know, Steve Vai, Justin Triani, George Lynch, the, the, the technicians. Um, and that's, those are the people that I, you know, I got a guitar magazine every month, and you know, I would learn how to play the songs through the tab, and that's really how I learned. I would get those old REH videos, VHS videos, you know, that, that were like forty nine ninety five or whatever. I'd get one like every three months from the music store, and just you know, watch them over and over and over and over.
0: I feel like it's not an interest, but this was like, it's, it's cool that it, the guitar became like obsession. Oh. Like it was just like everything living, breathing moment, like guitar.
1: Yeah. And that's what, that's what's weird. You know, like uh, the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, in, in, in kind of the online space now in the last couple of years, people have gotten to know me because of licensing, but the funny thing is, you know, my, my, you know, so anytime I do like an interview or type of presentation or a speech, I'm always talking about licensing. Uh, music licensing, but, but outside from that, anytime I'm hanging out with my friends or, you know, my, my close friends who I've known for a long time, or even obviously my family, it's, it's, you know, they don't see me as a licensing guy. They all know me as a guitar player and, and you know, they come over to my studio and I just have, you know, walls of guitars and, uh, that, you know, I, I love guitar, and and I've been able to make a living at it through licensing, but but guitar is like just a it's a crazy obsession for sure.
0: When you were taking guitar more and more seriously as you were getting older, did you think it was going to be a band that was gonna be like, that's how I'm gonna do music? Oh, I'm gonna have a band. Absolutely. Yeah, because there was no other
1: way to do it. I was a yeah. guy. Um so, but I was writing songs and in high school I you know, there was a good friend of mine who played bass and sang, and so you know, he would come over all the time and know we'd work on songs together and started a band in high school and you know stayed with kind of the same core guys through high school and then uh after high school got into a different band and then that band you know actually did some stuff and and um you know we were kind of on our way and uh but it was always through a band i got heavy into songwriting but then when i was 16 i got a four track (laughs) an old cassette four track and just became obsessed with that and and uh you know, I remember like that's how I started learning how to record and, you know, I had these really crappy microphones and I stick it in front of my amp and then you just couldn't figure out how to get a good sound. And then uh, and then I read somewhere about a Rockman, uh, old Schultz Rockman. And so I remember there's a used music store that I ended up buying an old Rockman sustainer, which is, you know, for those who don't know, that's like it was like the first you know direct recording system. Like Def Leppard's Hysteria was recorded all direct uh, through a Rockman a lot of ZZ tops, stuff like that, you know. So uh, it kind of gives you that Boston sound, and um, so I got into that. And once I actually had some good guitar tones, <laughs> uh, you know, I went out and I bought a drum machine, and and uh, you know mowed a lot of lawns. And every every penny I made, I I, I put back into you know building this little recording setup. You know, as, as much as I was obsessed with with playing guitar, then then I got really obsessed with the uh, recording and learning how to record I started hanging out in different studios uh, where I was growing up and um, and then that ultimately led to uh, I had a choice at one point Mm -hmm. Uh, I I finally had a choice where I was like okay I could either go to music school or I could go to recording school and I was so excited I wanted to go to music school so bad for so long and and right around that time I ended up uh, hurting my hand I ended up uh, because I played so much ended up getting this thing called repetitive stress injury RSI where it inflames your tendons and it doesn't sound like a big deal, but to give you some perspective, uh, at the time I had an old Honda Prelude and uh, you know a, a manual, so you know stick shift. And at the time I couldn't even hold on to the steering wheel with my left hand when I needed to shift with my right. Uh, because um, I mean I went and saw like these surgeons and all types of stuff because it was so painful for me to even just hold on to anything with my left hand. So I thought my I thought my guitar career was done at, you know, twenty. Uh, So I was really depressed. And then um, that's ultimately uh, what led me to making a decision to go to a recording school. Uh, I ended up going to a recording school down in Florida because I thought, well, if I can't play guitar, I guess I'm going to produce records. (laughs) And then um, fortunately, while I was down there for a year to go to that school,
0: my my hand healed up and uh, never had a problem since. But making the recording move, I feel, is so, so good. The, the fact that you did that, because to me, it's like guitar recording, it goes hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the more, and the more especially now, probably even then, but like the more that you're kind of like a Swiss army knife that you can do a little bit of this, yep. this, this. It's not necessarily, it's great to be per, you know amazing at one, but if you can be like, hey, I'm great at guitar. I also record, I also write songs. I can also produce, it's like all these other things. yeah So helpful.
1: Yeah, well, the the, the recording at any you can create value. You know, anytime you learn a skill and you can make it valuable to other people, you just open up more opportunities for you. Anyway, and recording to me, well, I mean, I loved it. You know, I I, I loved recording and this is it's so funny because things now are so easy and even then even then you know like like in the late 90s things were easy compared to what they were in like the 70s and 80s because now we had digital you know i'd upgraded to a digital eight track you know so things were a lot easier but i was so passionate about learning things like i remember gosh i remember there was a song at the time by rem i think it was called what's the frequency kenneth and it had this like kind of choppy guitar And, um, I remembered, um, it's like happens in the course, it's like, what's the frequency Kenneth, blah, 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 whatever that line is. And then you hear this guitar part Mm -hmm. and perfectly in time and stuff like that. And I still remember when I learned how to do that, when I learned that, oh, okay, I can take like a, a hi-hat from my drum machine. I can, I can, you know, you tap it out, you know, tap it out and then send the output of the hi-hat. Of the of the drum machine to a, I had a compressor gate system, an export a, a, like a you know rack unit. I could send it to the no, to the key input of the gate, and I could then set the gate and then run my guitar through the gate through the gate, and that's going to create the sound. It was like this this whole process, you know. I mean, now it's like you hit a button and it does it right, <laughs> but it was this whole thing of getting cables and connecting everything, and and there's there is something about that to me. That was so much fun. I mean, now I, I love my studio and I, I love having everything there. But I'll be honest with you. I, I never go around the back of my s- system to connect or unplug anything. The only time I go around the back of my system is when I op- want to open up the curtains, you know, because to <laughs> to my room. uh, with my studio here. But back then, like anytime you wanted to do something, you had to figure out how to do it. And then you generally had to connect stuff and uh, piece things together And I feel like there was just something great about that.
0: I feel like this carries over to so many things that you've done, just how you're like, oh, I'm really curious about this. And you try to understand every little step and every little process to to recreate and make it your own. It's almost like with songwriting, your licensing career, the classes that you've built, it kind of is like that (laughs) R.E.M. guitar part. It's like, what the hell is happening? I need to understand that. And then recreate it step by step.
1: Yeah. I'm not a big fan of just listening to what other people say. I love reading books. I read tons of books. And so what I've learned though, in reading a lot of different books is that you can, you know, about even about the same topic and each Mm -hmm. book, it gets you to the same ending, but, but generally the process will be different. Each person is, you know, they figured out their own process and I, and I very much like that approach. I like the thing of going, okay, I've like, it's kind of like learning guitar. Like, I learned how to play guitar. I'd say the majority of my style probably up until I was 30 was completely based around Paul Gilbert and Richie Kotzen. Their techniques were were fully what I did, right? But the thing is is that you know, you know I didn't sound like a clone because you know those guys are so talented, but Basically, everything I did was was one of their styles, you know. Mm-hmm. and um, But then when I started really branching out and, and just I stopped studying people and I started just doing my own thing, I, I really liked where I started going. And the reality is that even though I had a, a fine career up until I was 30, my real career didn't start until I was after 30. And when I listen back to the stuff that I did in my 20s, it's fine. To me, it sounds just very, it doesn't sound very unique right? But then when I start listening to the stuff that I did in my 30s, and it was kind of like where I kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, I know this stuff. I don't need to keep focusing in on learning it. Now I'm just going to start doing it. It took me a long time to get to that point. But you know, when I listened to the catalog that I started creating in my 30s, you know, I, I really started liking that guitar player a lot more. And while I didn't spend as much time on the technique stuff, I really spent a lot of time on building the sounds and on creating uh, layers and I, re- I really liked that. I-, I like listening back to that stuff, you know, still. And I think that that was kind of like the, the catalyst for going, oh, okay, I can take stuff and now I can really make it my own. And that's very much the same way that I approach everything. Now. You know, anything that I read or learn or you know, even like learning the online business world and stuff like that and, and whatnot. There's a lot of, you know, books out there and experts who've done really well. And yeah, you can learn that stuff from them. But I think it's good to learn the – principles Mm -hmm. and then at that point i think you have to make it your own because it's like songwriting songwriting you know you can follow these rules but it's not going to be authentic and the reality is i think people hear that and it's the same thing in in how you're approaching you know when you're talking to people as as a teacher uh putting together online programs and stuff yeah you can follow all the pre-written stuff that people have out there or you know you can just do your own thing and speak in your own voice and speak to to your audience
0: the way that they need to be spoken to. Do you feel like in your twenties, like, especially you think it's like, you're almost following a model of like, this is what I've got to do. And then thirties ends up being kind of like making that transition to like, well, what do I want to do? And like, how do I want to be like, you know, that's, that's not me. It's like, you start to get comfortable in your own skin and you're like, this is me. And And it's no longer kind of like, I've got to look like this and do this. But like, you know what I like me yeah. and I'm going to I'm going to start and then that if you're doing that personally in your own expression that that's going to come through in your playing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's just a matter of building confidence, complete confidence and when I turned 30 I had I had already done quite a bit guitar wise, and so I felt very confident in my in my career then at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And and at that, but but you know the reality is I was following. I was just kind of going through the motions of this is what you're supposed to do. And I and yeah, when I turned thirty, I remember the day that I woke up. I felt like a new man, and I was nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, so I'm gonna. 30, I'm going to feel like an old guy, but I woke up and, and I, I still remember that morning thinking like I've, I've finally arrived. Now I can just do me because I was always, for whatever reason, I was the young guy in, in the group. Like when I was hanging out in studios and even when mm-hmm. I started, I produced my first record in Nashville and then, and then continued a, a producing career at 25, which is pretty young. Um, and so I was always the young guy. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, Um, now here I was playing guitar on a bunch of TV shows and stuff like that. I was still the youngest guy in those sessions. So I felt that, you know, I'm just going to shut up and sit in the back corner and hear all these older people who are much more experienced than me. I'm not going to offer my opinion. I'm just going to do what's expected. And when I turned 30, I just felt like that, that age gave me, uh, freedom, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to now go, okay, now I'm going to do, now I'm going to do what I want to do. And, uh, Yeah, I think it's interesting when when you realize that, but when you really analyze it, but I think it just came down to two things, probably having a big confidence shift, like a big mindset shift. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing too, is also just having a lot of respect uh, for those who'd been down that road multiple times. And that was probably the best thing that I did in my 20s was just sit on the couch. I spent most of my 20s in a studio. So I would just sit on the back of the, you know, the back of the room on the couch and I would shut up and I would just listen to what all these people who had, you know, been in the business, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, I'd listened to what they all had to say. And I just was a sponge to their information.
0: You know, what was it like living in Nashville and then making that move to LA? I was, making uh, that jump. Oh God, I hated I
1: hated Nashville <laughs> at that point. So I was so thrilled. I, I went from living in a in a two-story, two-bedroom townhouse. I'll tell you an interesting experience that I had. When I left Nashville, I was so, I could not get out of Nashville fast enough in the early 2000s. I I hated the last couple of years I was here. And I remember, I remember like about a week before I left, I had this townhouse, I was up on a hill, I had a really nice view, I was on, on this corner lot. So I had this really like, almost like a 270 degree view. And this guy, I ordered pizza, I was with this girl that I was dating at the time, and this guy, you know, pizza guy came up and I remember he he uh, had a cool dog and all this stuff. I had all these things that I wanted when I first moved to Nashville, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I remember I was standing I was standing on the front deck and and the girl I was dating. She was re- running back to the kitchen to go get my wallet, and he was standing there with the pizza. And I remember he was like looking in through the through the ha- through the the townhouse that I had, and it just caught me for a second. I realized like, wow, well, he looked like a musician, and I was like, that was that was me, you know, four and a half years ago. You know, I used to work work with all these guys and I'd go to their, their houses who are successful musicians. I think, oh man, I would love to have this and, you know, and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, at that point I, I a new car and, uh, you know, this pretty girlfriend and, and, and I remember it just hit me. I was like, I got everything that I wanted when I came here. It just hit me, you know, yeah. and I was so, so thankful that, Oh wow! It took four and a half years, but but I realized I I I did I did what I wanted to do. I should have left a couple of years earlier, but I did what I wanted to do, and I got what I wanted. So when I moved to L.A., I was so happy to move to Los Angeles that I moved into a two-bedroom apartment that was probably like you know 800 square feet, and I lived there with four other guys. And three of those guys, probably about four months into uh, living there, four, four of those three of those guys, like their girlfriends moved in. So there were <laughs> there were six people living in one room, and two of us living in another. And I remember one night it was. Uh, so I moved there in the, uh, June of two thousand and three, and I remember it was uh, December of two thousand and three. I remember I woke up one day and I counted thirteen people staying in that apartment, and it was ridiculous. But I was so happy to be out in Los Angeles, and I was so happy to be a part of that community and doing what I was doing. That you know, it it, it was it was night and day difference lifestyle, you know, because <laughs> it was so expensive to live out there, and you know, and and and, uh, and whatnot. But I was so happy. I was so happy to be a part of that, and even even in the ridiculousness of that lifestyle, you know. I think I think uh, you know that lasted a total of. I think like nine months before my buddy and I moved out and we got a, a three bedroom uh, place, but that <laughs> madness for like those, those nine months, it was just, I was just so thankful. And I remember I would drive back, uh, from Pasadena, uh,
0: mm-hmm. quite often,
1: um, back to, uh, to, to, the Valley. I lived in, in Sherman Oaks at the time. And I remember every time I'd be driving out on the, the 210 to the 134, you had this view off to the, to the South where you could see like, like the buildings of Los Angeles way in the distance. And, uh, And I remember every time I'd see that, I just think, man, I'm so happy to be here.
0: There's something that you said when you were like, I should have left Nashville earlier. Do you feel now you realize when doors should close and you close them happily and not feeling like it has to be this like, oh, God, I hate it here and I'm closing it. But it's like you can close a door and be like, man, that was really good. That's a great question actually.
1: Yeah, and I, I I think you're 100% right. Knowing when that door closes and, and when the right time, I think that that's just going to come through age and experience, you yeah. know? But I think you're 100% right cuz the same thing with Los Angeles. You know, I I stayed in LA till 9 year till I hit my 9 year mark, and I'm thankful I did, but the last I'd say year and a half that I was there, I was just like it's time to go. I've built it up. Um I'm doing I'm doing some cool stuff, but it's it's time to leave. It's time to get back to a different lifestyle. And the and the the cool thing is is you know that was 2010. Uh, the cool thing is is you know technology allowed us to allows us to do everything we need to do from wherever. And you know mm-hmm. I, I remember I went to I, I, I lived down the street from a coffee shop and I walked into this coffee shop one night and I and I actually just did the math. So I think a lot of people don't really sit down and do the math. But I sat down. And I did the math on. What i was spending you know i I had a i had a studio that i rented i had a three-room facility that i rented i had an apartment that i rented and then i had a storage unit and you know all that stuff adds up (laughs) especially when you don't own any of it you know uh it's just money is thrown out you know may as well just drive down ventura boulevard and throw money out the the window you know every month because that's what it was and i sat down and i did the math on what I was spending per month on, on stuff that I didn't own. And then um, then I started doing the math on what I could do if I moved somewhere else and bought a house, uh, you know, and uh, added in my mortgage. And I did, I did the best math I could do at the time. And then I added in flying back to L.A. three to four times a year, the flights, and then staying mm-hmm. at staying at a hotel for a week, renting a car, and eating food. And the numbers worked in the favor of leaving. And, and the thing is, is that the majority of the people at that time that I was working with, I would see them once every three or four months. Even even the composers that I was working with, uh, you know, at that point, you know, I would do stuff remotely for them sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so when, when it came down to like writing for TV, yeah, I was only seeing the people I was working with, like I said, every couple months. And then even with a bunch of the composers, you know, what's interesting is after I left... A couple of the composers that I was working for, which was a big part of my income as well at the time, they also moved. So it was very interesting. There was like a there was like a, a pretty good exodus. I feel at least in my circle uh, mm-hmm. from Los Angeles. I'd say from like 2011 2013. And uh, you know, everyone, I don't think anyone's career suffered.
0: Now, especially when you said I did the math, and it, that's another thing that I feel, as you said, people don't do. Or sometimes it's the thing oh, I don't think it can be done. Well, did you actually write it out? Did you actually look and see if it's possible? Because most of the time it's pretty possible. It is. Yeah. And when you actually work it out. Now, when you were in LA, you said nine years, and I feel like you correct me if I'm wrong. So you you started out as like a studio musician. So you did a lot of guitar work. How did you get into the idea of essentially, you know, building your catalog? for sync licensing for people that don't know that's like music for television commercials, film. How did you like start to build that and know what people were looking for?
1: I started building that when I was in Cal Kel- in, in, in Nashville, because when I was in Nashville, you know, I came to Nashville really with the mindset of, you know, uh, starting a band, right. you know, I mean, I was always <laughs> pursuing the record label. So, you know, I left Nashville in, in 2003 to go out to LA to, you know, same thing, start a band and, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, get get that type of traction which is it's very difficult to start something original in a in a music industry town because the the great players that you want to work with are all out on other gigs but i had written a lot of songs when i lived in nashville i i, I came here with like an old vs 880 which is a old digital you know recording ma- machine and then i upgraded the pro tools and and when was that that's was probably around like 2001 so so i had a lot of material and i was constantly writing constantly writing so i already had a good batch of songs that i was always taking to publishers and working with other writers here and whatnot and they were fully produced and uh you know i just never i always just never got the publishing deal you know but at the same point what i was writing wasn't really fit for nashville either um so i I moved out to la already with a catalog Uh, and then when i got there of course i was you know still just i was focused on you know working with other people and and whatnot so whenever i'd meet other songwriters and this and that i would get together and write with them and i'd produce the track and i mean i was on a mission to get a career going i wanted to get a publishing deal and you know ideally i wanted to you know play with some type of group that i could you know have a you know large artistic creative say in but at the mm-hmm. same point i was also producing and and this and that I was producing some other artists so right off the, off the bat like i hit the ground running i was definitely i, I landed some gigs playing on some shows some TV shows, but I was hustling and networking and I wasn't just sitting around at all. So that was a big thing. And then, you know, one of those opportunities, you know, I was playing on a show and, and then when the opportunity was right, I talked to the music supervisor. I didn't really know what they did, but as I was talking to them, I learned what they did. I just asked her if I could give her some music. And she said, yeah, I'd love some. So the next time I saw her, I gave her a CD of like nine or 10 songs. And Literally within two to two weeks or so, I had a featured vocal placement on that particular show, and it was a popular show on CBS. And man, it paid great, and <laughs> and it just it just kind of knocked me off my socks. I mean, I was just like, "What is this? This was this was easy." Oh my gosh, I've been like beating my head against the wall for years trying to get publishers to to do anything with my music, and now I give one lady an album. And I get a song, like I can tell all my friends back in New York, Hey, watch this episode. I'm going to have a song. And it wasn't just a little clip. It was like two minutes and like 22 seconds or two mm. minutes and 17 seconds. And it was kind of like a featured vocal, you know, and, and and right off the bat, it was just a great experience. And the whole thing was just a great experience, you know, getting paid <laughs> was great. And, and, and uh, you know, the contract was easy. It was like, you know, a page and a half. And so, I thought, wow, this is interesting, and so then I gave her some more songs, and it just—that's how it started rolling. And then, you know, I was always going out and networking, and I was going out to events, and so I'd see her at an event, you know, like a month later, she'd be standing next to one of another another one of her music supervisor friends. Oh, so and so, this is Michael. I just used one of his uh, songs on, on on an episode uh, this past month, and um, you should give you should give her one of your CDs. Oh yeah, so I'd take her card and. You know, on a Monday, if this was like on a weekend, on a Monday, I'd reach out and, you know, hey, I meet you this weekend with so and so, and yeah, here's my address. You know, sit, send anything you have. That's literally how it how it went, and um, so it was like li- it was like literally so funny. You know, doors doors being slammed in my face going down one avenue, and a just slight pivot and like doors opening wide open.
0: I was going to say, it's funny, you know, after all those years of being like, hey, publisher, you interested? No, 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 no. And then suddenly, yeah, hand me a CD. It's like, yeah. just like that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Just hand me a CD. Yeah. But I think a lot of it played, there there's
1: a lot more to it. it. It's like, it sounds easy and and, and it, it was, but you, you can't forget that, like, here I was now, I was, you know, 28, 29, uh, I was actually, let's see, how old would I be? Yeah, I was I was just about to turn 29 just about to turn 29 i mean think about that and i had been you know playing guitar like obsessed with the guitar you know since i was 12 you know so so for the you know previous what is that 17 years right uh becoming a better guitar player building up my guitar gear you know i i I never got crappy gear i was spent the money i got good gear and then you know since i was 16 being obsessed with recording and then, and then ended going to a school for recording. And then also, you know, in the first couple of years I was in Nashville, I was working as an assistant to an engineer and producer. So I was, you know, when I handed them my songs, they were record quality. You know, I mean, I, I really built up every aspect of, of the skill set. So it wasn't just the doors swung wide open. It was like I, the door swung open because the quality was there.
0: It's like the ten thousand hours were on that scene, yeah. where yeah. it was just like that was the time that you put into it because sometimes maybe folks do it and they think the process is going to be easy. And if it's, you know, when people say, if it doesn't happen in a year, yeah. it's like, well, you can't say a year. No. It's just like, you can't say like a year or two or give yourself this, where are you getting this timetable anyway? It's just yeah. like, you kind of have to trust the press and do the work and show up. You Even when some days you're like, ah, but I don't see anything. You kind of have to, you have to trust that there are things happening. You've got to keep on going because if you don't, there's someone else that's gonna that's down the line that's like you know what I'm just gonna keep on going yeah and guess what they get there and it's like how yeah I just did
1: the work that's you know it's funny because I have people say like oh you're so lucky I'm like I'm not lucky I just stayed in the game that's it I just stayed in the game when other people were willing to quit and give up and move on I stayed in the game and that's all it boils down to but I, I will go back to to the idea of like the quality of the music you know I, I run you know you know an online program where I teach people how to, you know, get their songs on TV and it's really not that difficult, but I have to say that I I do get a lot of messages from, from people who are like, man, I've been trying to get my songs placed for years and I don't ever hear back from anyone. And when, when someone says something like that to me, you know, I don't hear back from anyone. I think, okay, there's, there's two reasons why a, your email, your approach, whatever you're doing, your phone call, whatever it is, is, is turning them off uh so that's the first thing or two your music's not good so i always ask i'm like send me what you sent them like i want to see i want to get an idea of it and i would say 100 of the time it's their music is not even at demo level yeah (laughs) i'm serious about that or 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 maybe they did spend money with like the local guy who can record their music oh i spent you know i spent a thousand dollars per song with the local producer does all the local bands Ugh. That doesn't mean anything. It's like you know, who cares? Anyone can buy Pro Tools and call themselves the producer, right? In town, but I listen to their music, and it's like, do you realize, like, you're nothing's even in time. The drums aren't even grooving. Your 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 the the guitar strumming is not in time. The vocals are out of tune. So even if it was recorded well, the production is horrible. And and you have to realize that. Look, when you're getting into the TV world, you know. A perfect example would be like um, I watch a lot of those Hallmark Christmas movies. We'll put it that way. And, you know, it's kind of like if, if if anyone who's listening to this, if you ever watch some of those Christmas movies, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the acting is just really, 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 really bad. Really bad. You know, like so bad it's kind of laughable. You know, <laughs> the timing, you know, you, it's just it's just the acting is bad. Well, that's not the kind of acting that you're going to see. On a you know blockbuster movie uh, or or a big you know TV show where they spend millions of dollars you know millions and millions of dollars not only just on on the production but also on the promotion right. And, and there's, there's a, a, a level there. You know, there. There really is a fine line between the two. It's not even a fine line. I think it's a pretty thick line. Below that line is, is kind of the, the lower quality, you know, goofy you know, movies like that. that You can tell they're low budget. And then, of course, above that are the high budget, high ticket stuff where like even the CGI and all that stuff, it just, it just looks so good. You believe you're on another planet even though it was filmed with a green screen behind them and stuff like that, right? And it's the same thing with music. If you want to play at that level, your music has to be at that level. But I think the majority of, of musicians don't realize that they treat their music like a hobby. You know, They don't they don't really put the time and energy into creating that great product. And then they wonder why nothing happens to them. Well, you treated your business like a hobby. So what happens with hobbies? Well, have you ever made money on a hobby? I mean, golf is a great hobby for a lot of people. Most of those people, like 99% of them, don't make any money with their golf. They spend a lot of money going out and playing golf. You only have that small percentage who who decided that they're gonna make that hobby a career and they they you know then they become these, you know, golf professionals. You can look at that with anything, right? And music is is no different. If you're gonna treat your music like a hobby, you know, don't be surprised when you're spending a lot of money and you're not getting any money back. It's like it, it's like it, going golfing once a week and being like, I can't believe I'm not on the PGA yeah. tour. Well, you went it, golfing once a week.
0: What you're saying right now, my friend Trevor, who is one of the CEOs of uh, Soundstripe in Nashville. Yes. He was like, that's how he treated. He was like, my band is like a business. And he was like, all the people I was in a band with, we got that. And we were all starting businesses on our own too when we were on tour. We all had our laptops yeah. working at it. And it's it is, it has to be a business. And also too with licensing, I feel some people have this like, cheesy aspect when they think of licensing and it's like well what aspect are you think they they are uh, they almost write it as like a blow off song like it's like ah oh, it doesn't have to be good and it's yeah. like really it's like yeah. it absolutely has to be good and it's like and it's got to be authentic if you're saying yeah. like this feels like Imagine Dragons it better fucking feel like Imagine Dragons yeah. Yeah. it shouldn't feel like you know like this poorly out of time song and yeah. i feel how did so from licensing your music and all the things you're talking about too? You made a pivot too to start going into educating others in this world and just starting to branch out and create your own business. And how did that start? Well, that that was a slow climb because that actually started in in the later
1: two thousands. I'd say I, I'd say like in hindsight, it's interesting. It's always interesting to look back at things in like hindsight and go, oh, this was really kind of starting to manifest itself. You know, ten mm-hmm. years ago, I think it was two thousand and nine, two thousand ten. Uh, it could have even been two thousand and eight. But um, I started getting asked to speak at these producers' conferences in Los Angeles uh, by a company called Propellerhead. They make a program called Reason, and uh, Propellerhead hosted these producers' conferences in these different music cities throughout the the country, and they would have different experts come in to talk about different things. And I- I've been a Reason user since two thousand three. Ah, uh, there's a bit of a history there. You know, I, I said earlier I had a th- I had a three room facility that I rented for a number of years. Uh, well, I always had a studio there, but I I ended with this particular three room facility that I had there. I had a you know old Trident seventy series console, and it was a cool little room. It was a great place to have meetings, by the way. At that point, Reason was just a MIDI program, uh, and they were starting to get into the audio aspect. So they created a program called Record and uh and some of the designers were coming to america to talk to different users and so i was one of the users that they wanted to speak to so they came to my studio one of my best friends is a great drummer and so you know we recorded drums a lot in the drum room and so i was just kind of going through some of the stuff on how real producers would use this program and and this and that and, and and some of the little things they needed to fix especially when it came to you know stuff like that well ultimately they ultimately integrated record into reason and it became a full you know audio midi production program but it started there that's how i connected with them and they started having me speak at their at their uh conferences and i remember uh in this in the very first one that i spoke at i was one of the last guys and all throughout the day these guys were talking about like oh this new the new thing i think they just come out with a thing called the alligator and they're like oh you can do this and this and that and, and blah 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 and, and you can do this so quickly and I, I was just sitting there watching and throughout the day i started seeing these guys just kind of start start to fall over in their chair and get tired and and uh you know doze off and i thought oh my gosh they're gonna be so tired by the time i speak what am i what am i gonna do and and i got up there and uh and it was probably like six o'clock, you know. I, I had a later, later session, and uh, I could tell a lot of these people just weren't like they weren't there. They weren't, they weren't present. They just wanted it to be over. And and one of the very first things I said to them was, "Hey, listen. So you have learned today how to use all these cool programs. That you know, when you wake up at like you know two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, how do you, you know, how can you get that idea quickly? And you've learned how you know all these new things. Reason will allow you to do that. But what I want to show you is when you wake up again at nine o'clock." I want to show you how to deposit those songs into your bank account. And I said that line and I literally watched every head pop up and give me their full attention during like the next 45 minutes. And I just spoke about licensing and, and, and that's when I realized, oh wow, that was you know, that was really interesting. It really caught their you know attention. I had no no plan on teaching this at all. And then a year later I did the next one. And then as as just kinda of word got out, I started getting asked to speak at these different conferences. So I was flowing back to Nashville to speak at a different conference and et cetera. So then I, I ended up moving back to Nashville you know a couple years later and then when i was here uh different publishers started asking me they started hearing about this guy who's had these placements you know and um and i'd go meet with them and funny enough like they were people who i'd met with years before with my songs you know and they turned me down and now they want to learn and it it was just really interesting a lot of the people that blew me off years ago then suddenly wanted to learn what i was doing and um and then it then it kind of turned to artists you know artists and these weren't necessarily like independent artists these were some pretty well-known artists you know they'd reach out and want to you know pick my brain and stuff like that it was always to pick your brain can i pick your brain can i pick your brain and i thought you know this is cool i just moved back to town so open up some doors for me you know i'll get some gigs playing guitar with these guys i'll I'll be able to write with them etc blah 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 blah, blah. so i did that and then after a couple years of that i just got tired of it uh because it would turn into like these four hour long conversations and i realized that even though i would meet with a lot of people let's say if i'd meet with 50 people only two of them would actually move forward with something and it really became a waste of time. So I wrote a little ebook. It was the summer of 2017, and I was just done with it. Said you know any anytime someone sends me an email or a publisher wants to get together and you know buy me lunch screw them I'm just going to send them the ebook and, you know if they have any questions they can call me later and I'm going to charge them uh, I don't have time for this because it was really eating into my time and into my production time and 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 I wasn't getting any value out of it you know in, in, in the long run what I was expecting to come from it wasn't coming from it so the reciprocation aspect so uh, so I did this ebook and then I did a session for this guy in, in the fall of 2017 uh, for a friend of mine a uh, Producer friend of mine asked me to uh, play guitar on two songs for this artist he's producing. They came to my studio and we took a break. and the The artist said, uh, "So tell me a little bit about yourself." I said, "I just had my two thousandth placement this this month." And he said, "Oh, have you ever thought about writing a book?" And I said, "I actually I, I have a little book. I'll send it to you." <laughs> and he goes, "He goes, no, no. no have, you, have you ever thought? I'd love that. But have you ever thought about like you know doing a um, course?" And I said, "Oh, there's no way I'm going to do a course." <laughs> and, um, and it turns out that that individual is a guy named Bill O'Hanlon who you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those who don't Bill bill is a um, very prolific author he's written 38 books uh he's also uh, done really well online and and in the online world there's a guy named jeff walker who teaches a particular process and bill is a big part of that and speaks at his conferences and so i I had no idea who was sitting on the on the couch in my studio but we became fast friends and over the next couple months you know we'd get together and uh you know, for lunch every, every month. And he kept pushing me. He's like, Michael, you know, you got to share this with people. You got to put together your program. You can reach people way outside of Nashville and all these other communities. And, and as he was explaining it to me, it really started making sense. I thought, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I guess I could, I could do that. And he's like, you know, you film it once you give, you give all the information and then, you know, you don't have to always stop what you're doing. And that really appealed to me. So I did that, and I created the, the program. And um, I, you know, when I created the the Master Music Licensing course, I created it with the mindset of uh, this is going to be a one and done thing. I'm going to do every every single thing that I know about licensing is going to be in this program, and I did it with the mindset of so that no one has to contact me again. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, that's what I delivered. Uh, I mean, I, I it's it's been running for a couple of years now. It's it's fantastic, and. But it really is 100% of, of the licensing process. And, and what I've realized, though, is that while – and I've added to it, you know, since I initially created it. I find out, like, some little things that people have questions about that don't necessarily relate to licensing. But I know they have those questions because uh, – well, they ask them a lot. Um, mm-hmm. but, but they're confused because, you know, they, they're so used to the music industry path. And the licensing path is different. So they're asking about stuff that, that doesn't relate, you know. And so so I've, I've added additional, you know, videos. And then I realized, okay, now people are getting their songs licensed, but now they're now the next step is, you know, contracts. So I ended up uh, last summer creating a whole contracts module where I went through over 100 contracts that I have. I read through all 100 of them, and I picked out five that uh, covered every aspect of, and everything that they would ever get when it comes to licensing both good and bad. And so it's funny because just that one module took me just as long to create and film than it did for me to film the entire program. But, uh, but to me, again, it's one of those things where I just wanted to create something that's like, it's, it is the, I wanted to look at it as like, this is your bachelor's degree on licensing. You know, you don't, you don't really have to go anywhere else. You you can, of course, you know, uh, but, but, uh, but you don't have to go anywhere else. This will give you every little thing that you need, every detail, everything you're going to come across when it comes to licensing the, the exact system that I've used, like nothing's left out. And so it it really became a a thing that came about over the course of many years of speaking at conferences and then having one person say, you know, you create a
0: course out of this because I didn't even know that that was something I could do. It's interesting with all of that because I feel this is now a season of like self education. Yeah, this is the time where I think people are getting uh, going less and less to college because it, it it means a little less. It doesn't mean the same as it did. Yeah. like unless you're going to be a doctor if you're going to you know the law school, but other than that, it doesn't feel the same as it was or is the same that it was fifty years ago. And people are like, ah, two hundred thousand dollars for one, yeah. or I could pay three thousand dollars for something yes. that I'm totally interested that's going to give me value and action steps mm-hmm. and I'll take it one
1: step it, further uh, with the online programs you actually learn from experts you know but <laughs> when I, when I released the the program I did a lot of research on what else was out there in the licensing world and there are colleges who teach it in fact they I mean they you know it, it's it's funny to me so I go and I do some research and I'm like these college the person who's teaching it's never had a song they don't know what they're talking about. You know, they may have uploaded a song to Jingle Punks and then they found that they got a license <laughs> and that's not song licensing. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, yeah, okay, you, you got lucky. You got a song on Pawn Stars. Who cares? That's not... So my, my whole approach to sync licensing is consistent placements. Look, every single person here listening, if, if you want to get your song on a TV for bragging rights, you know, so you can go into work and brag to your friend, that's easy. That is not hard. But the reality is that that, that process, you're not going to make great money on it and you're not going to turn it into a living mind. My process is all about creating a continuous passive income stream or royalties uh, on a consistent basis, and, and and the big phrase that I use through the whole program is, you know, the, the phrase that I have really for my whole my whole career and licensing is that a quality catalog is a magnet for placement opportunities. It starts there. You know, you have to have good songs. Uh, if you don't have good songs, then, then you, you're now, you're not going to be able to play it at, at a high, higher level, but that's like anything with the music industry, you know, and, and, and that requires work. It requires investing time into writing the song. And if you can't record it yourself, it, it requires investing money with uh, someone who can record it and record it well for you. But the reality is that when you have high quality music, you, you get paid high quality you know, uh, money for the license. And then also when you get some nice placements, you get the back end. And you also have to think of internationally. Um, you know, you get the international royalties, and every single time that show airs, you're getting paid. And that's fantastic. And and we don't want to just do that one time. You can do that once and you can make you know a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand dollars, you know, depending on the the the, side, the type of placement, right? But you can do that once and that's fine, that's not hard. But we want to do it on a consistent basis. We want to do it so that you're getting a couple placements a month, uh, even a couple placements a week, um, because then that way everything compounds itself over time. Uh, The new songs that you're getting placed this week are paying you upfront fees, but yet at the same point, all the songs you have in your back catalog that are being played this week and this month on all the different reruns of those shows all throughout the world are all generating back-end royalties for you. So the goal is consistent – placements you know and it's um so that, that that's what i created i created a process that allows you to create consistent placements and it's a process that i created for myself back in the early 2000s that you know i've 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 uh, changed it over time as as you know technology has caught up you know when i started we were sending out cd's and now everything is digital you know so so um but at the same point nothing's really changed though in the licensing world i'd say in 7 8 years you know so um, and when it does, I'll, I'll update the program, of course. Uh, but at the same point, when it comes to this getting back to the college aspect, another big thing that's important to me and, and why I love the online world so much is that when I stop licensing my music, that's when, that's when the licensing program is going to shut down. There's no way I'm going to teach people how to do something that I'm not currently doing. And I feel that that's, that's something that's valuable and that's something you get from a lot of the people who are doing the online programs. But you don't get that from the people who are teaching at the colleges oftentimes there are people who did not do it they learned from a textbook and they teach that textbook you know and so they never did it and then they're definitely not doing it um and so i feel that like there's a massive value to the online yeah. world and i think that i think the only thing that's probably going to change moving forward in the online world is most likely a recognition of the online world and then even even the various online classes creating certificates you know like a you know, like you've been yeah. certified, you know, and and those certifications being recognized. I think that that's definitely going to be coming in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I love teaching online. Uh, I love being able to reach so many people, and especially even with the pandemic, you know, a lot of my students were able to, you know, while their gigs ended or their jobs ended, I I had a number who got some you know big commercials, and and uh, so the, those those big commercials that pay multiple five figures were able to carry them through. You know the first couple months of their of the pandemic, and then of course you know they've if they've done the work and had the songs out there, then they can get their royalties and stuff like that. And that to me is so valuable and exciting.
0: Now, if folks want to get a hold of your book and they want to get know more about the class, where can they find you?
1: Uh, you you can you can download the book for free at nationalmusiclicensing dot com, uh, and that's where you can learn everything about about the program. <laughs> uh, the program is <laughs> available there, um, and then. Uh, but but I, I would always recommend just starting off with the book. The book is called the Four Step Plan to Licensing to Success. It gives you a nice overview of the process. It'll take you about like an hour to read. Uh, it's it's not super in depth, but what's interesting about it is if you're coming from the music world, the traditional music industry path, uh, this book will, I think I think it's going to open your eyes to. If, you, if you've tried licensing your music before, let me put it this way. If you've tried music, licensing your music before and it hasn't worked for you, download the book. I promise you the answer for why it hasn't worked for you will be in uh, that four-step process. It's most likely because you did not follow the process. The music industry world is a two-step process. We finish our song and then we send it out and then oftentimes just hope for the best. Hope, terrible strategy, by the way. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily know how much hope, uh, the hope strategy works out for people. But, um, but that's generally what we do. And that's what a lot of musicians do when it comes to licensing. They finish a song and they send it out. And they go, well, I never heard back. Of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. You didn't send out anything of value. You know? And when you learn the four-step process and, and what you have to create, because you have to keep in mind that the people who are using your music don't work in the music industry. They're film editors. They're re-recording mixers. They're directors. They're producers. You know? And just to give you an mm-hmm. idea of how this changes, I'll just give you a little little nugget. In music, we mix music in stereo, left and right. But when you watch TV or go to a movie, what are you listening to audio in? Listening to audio in surround sound, 5.1, 7.1. So right off the bat, your delivery aspect has to be different. doesn't mean you have to go back and remix your music, not at all. You just have to create certain mixes for these individuals so that they can use your music and utilize it in a surround field. Right, so if you've just been sending off your stereo mix and no one, you don't, you know, no one's gotten back to me. I'll, I'll tell you right now, you're missing step two of the process. That's mm-hmm. it. It's that simple. It's a simple thing you can do, but you're missing that part of the process. So if you're missing that part of the process, you're not even getting to steps three and four. I promise you. And it's a four-step process. And 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 if you want to get your songs licensed, believe me, that is uh, a- a- every song that, that that you're hearing on TV. Uh, whether the composer knows it or not recognizes it or not they're taking it through that that four-step process
0: well go download the book um michael your journey your process the whole conversation thanks for doing this i really appreciate it
1: yeah thanks for having me this is
0: fun I'm insanely pumped because over 600 songwriters have made the commitment to themselves that 2021 is going to be the year that they're going to improve their guitar skills so they can up their songwriting game. That's right. The Songwriting for Guitar Bootcamp has kicked off. And if you're listening to this and you're like, what? I I didn't know about this. Well, don't worry. It is going on right now. All you have to do is go to songrangforguitar.com, sign up, you can jump in. This is going to be a transformative and informative, my favorite types of formative, I should say, experience. So if you are ready to break old habits, if you wanna start tracking your guitar for songs, if you want other people to pay you to start tracking guitar, arranging guitars, if you want your confidence to go to new levels, this is for you, and it's free. All you got to do is go to songwritingforguitar.com. And that does it for this week's episode. It was edited and produced by Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.